Well, good morning. It is so good to see everybody today. We were just talking and praying before the service started about just how fun it is that all of us who helped to put on this service, you know, all of us together, we're just a bunch of friends. We love each other. We love doing things that are of eternal value, and we get to do these things knowing that God is actually the one who brings effectiveness, and God's the one who's working. So we trust Him, and we're serious about what we're doing, but we're just having a great time with our friends. And the other thing that is really cool is that you're all our friends. Like, we actually were praying about that today, that it's a group of people that love each other, ministering to a group of people that we love and that love us. And what a great church family. And I just want to, I actually want to open up this morning by praying for Arcella. So Arcella is our 90, one of our, a 90-year-old that we have here with us. She is in the hospital today, or at the doctor's office, and, and she just is in so much pain But she called me last night, and she's like, you know, the only time they could get me in was Sunday at 10 o'clock, and I'm so bummed I can't be there. And she was appreciating, uh, you know, Chip and Deb, who save a seat for her over there in the corner. But we're just going to pray for her that God will bless her. If you don't know, maybe you'll remember the the senior saint that got baptized recently. Um, That's Orsella. So let me just pray for her, and then we're going to jump in this morning. God, thank you so much for our church family. And Lord, we just think about Orsella. We're so thankful that she is with us. And God, we pray that you would give the doctors wisdom, that they would figure out the things that are going on in her life. And Lord, we're just reminded that, um, man, you got to be tough to get old. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would give her lots of strength and that you would help her to enjoy every day that you give her. And Lord, we're just so thankful for just the blessing that we have of having her in our church family. And Lord, we're just thankful, actually, not just for her, but we're thankful for every single person you've put in this family. We pray that you'd help us to love each other, to build each other up, and that we would just enjoy um, really talking about and learning about things of eternal value in your name. Amen. All right, so, you know, you think about uh, today, we're going to be talking about the fact that the truth of the resurrection matters. And uh, often people approach life carelessly and uh, we should enjoy life. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have fun. Um, he gives us good things to enjoy. But often we can miss out on this, the spiritual significance of life. And we can, in pursuing fun, miss out on the things that actually matter in life. And I was thinking about just the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection, the fact that whether or not it's true matters. And I thought about that yesterday. Michelle and I went to Simi Valley. We drove all the way out there yesterday and all the way back because it was, we were celebrating the 50th wedding anniversary of the gentleman that led Michelle to Christ. And I should have put a picture of him and her up here. On, we took one yesterday. Um, but this guy was so amazing. Michelle was uh, selling cars, and he was her manager. And she saw him become a Christian. So he grew up Catholic, didn't really know the Lord, but went to the Catholic church on a regular basis. And then he was dropping his mother-in-law's car off and listening to um, Charles Stanley on the radio. And, and while he was driving her car in, he hears the gospel. He realizes he doesn't know the Lord, and he becomes a Christian. And in the car industry, <laughs> selling cars, Michelle got to see the transformation in his life. Like before her eyes, he changed and became a spiritually faithful man that was committed to doing what was right. And he started sharing the gospel with everybody, including her. 
And so he would share the gospel with her, and sometimes he'd say, okay, yeah, you can go ahead and go home early if you listen to this tape and come back and tell me about it tomorrow. And so he did things like that, and she worked for him for a while, and his whole family was praying for her. And uh, she ends up becoming a Christian. Um, it took, took probably a couple years. But this guy is so amazing in the way that he just constantly shares the gospel. In fact, as he started to recognize um, some of the things going on in the Catholic Church, he actually went and took his kids out. But before he did that, he went and shared the gospel with all the nuns um, in, in, the, in the Catholic Church before he left. And he just was preaching the gospel with everybody. And even yesterday, it was amazing to me how he is constantly, every time I see him, he's telling stories about how he shares the gospel with people. And, um, and I just, you know, we couldn't not go yesterday. I just thought I wouldn't even be married if it wasn't for him. You know, at least I wouldn't be married to Michelle because you got to marry a Christian. And so he got, he got this woman saved so I could marry her. But um, even when, uh, when, we were, when we went there yesterday, I gave him a big hug. And the first thing he starts telling me is, my mom just became a Christian three years before she died. And, he, and then he just goes into how he shares the gospel. And it's so cool because he tells about all these conversations with all these different people. And, and every time you hear it, you just go, that is so simple. That would be so easy. I mean, anybody could say that stuff. So he's reading Revelation chapter 21 to his mom. And he's just reading about the lake of fire. And he's like, so mom, what do you think the lake of fire is? And she's like, well, I think that's hell. And he's like, yeah. He's like, uh, do you want to go there? <laughs> And she's like, no, I don't want to go there. And, uh, and then he's saying to her, well, you know, unless your name is written in the book of life, that's where you're going to go. And she's like, well, how would you know if your name was written in the book of life? And so then he starts just explaining to her how she can know that her name is written in the book of, the li in the book of life. And he shares the gospel with her. And it's like you just kind of hear that story and you're like, man, you could kind of have that conversation with anyone, especially the way he tells it. And he's got stories about, um, uh, he used to work in the, uh, after he quit selling uh, cars, he, uh, he did warranties. And so he could, he, when I would see him, he would tell me about um, every single person in the warranty department of every dealership. This is what's going on in his life. And this is how I'm praying for him. And this is the thing I said to him. It's like he just shared the gospel with everybody. And I just, it is so inspiring and so encouraging and what it comes down to is that the truth of the resurrection matters. And I'll just tell you, this week's been so encouraging because we have an elder chat. And, you know, uh, three of our elders this week did the same kind of thing where they sat down and shared the gospel with somebody. And then they just posted, hey, I had this conversation. Pray for this person. And I just love that we have elders that believe in the truth of the resurrection, that they are sharing the gospel with people. And that's something that should be true of every single one of us. And the truth of the resurrection matters. It matters when you're old. Um, I, I think about Park Terrace. You know, Val teaches a Bible study over there. And there's a bunch of old people <laughs> at Park Terrace. And I would just say at Park Terrace, like when I go there, um, every once in a while, I get the privilege of uh, teaching uh, that Bible study when Val's not there. But I just think about the fact that that's probably the most effective ministry on the planet. Like, like either it's a bunch of believers who at the end of their life are struggling and feeling lots of pain, and so you get to encourage fellow believers. Or it's people who don't know the Lord, and they may have days or weeks 
left on this earth until they go into eternity. That is the most urgent, most important place that you could be sharing the gospel. So the, the truth of the resurrection matters for people as they get older. But the truth of the resurrection, it matters for people who are younger too. Um, just um, last week I was coming to church and as I'm driving across the bridge, I see this. There's like there's fire trucks, there's all kinds of stuff on the bridge, there's policemen, like it's just loaded and they're kind of driving around there. And, and I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, there must have been a car accident. So I'm looking, but I don't see any damaged vehicles. And so afterwards I, I jumped on to next door and just said, hey, you know, you know, it was just looking for what happened at the bridge. And in those stories, I'm not 100% sure what happened, but what some people shared was that earlier in the week, somebody saw this younger person standing by the bridge. And when they saw them standing by the bridge, somebody just drove up, pulled over, some lady gets out of the car, runs over and just gives this guy a hug. And the assumption is that was probably a friend. And then a few days later, um, what, I, what I understand is that a younger person jumped off that bridge. The truth of the resurrection matters. And, and people are without hope if they're without Christ. And we need to make sure that we understand the resurrection, the power of the resurrection and what that means. And we need to make sure that we are proclaiming and sharing the truth of the resurrection with people because Christ changes life and eternity matters. And often uh, we can, in our lives, um, we can forget the urgency of the gospel in our lives, in the lives of our kids, in the lives of, the, of our neighbors, and we need to know that eternity hangs in the balance, and it is based on people standing before Christ. And so that is a, 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 a very important thing for us to think about today. And um, last week, uh, Justin was just talking about, unless you believed in vain, you know, and he talked about the gospel and that there were people in the Corinthian church that were religious, but that they potentially had believed in vain. We're going to look at some of that this morning, but I'm reminded of the gospel of John where it says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Gospel of John was written so people would believe, and then he wrote 1 John so that we could look at our lives and know if we believe. 1 John says, I write these things to you, 1 John 5, 13, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. One of the things that is really powerful about this book is that Paul's talking to the Corinthian church people who have been saved out of a sinful generation, and he's saying, unless you believed in vain. And in our passage, we're going to see that there are people in this church, religious people, who don't believe things that you need to believe to be a believer. So he's looking at them, and he's just saying, you guys are believing these things, and it's wrong. And so we're going to see that, and it is important for us to understand that it is important whether or not the resurrection is true, and we need to genuinely know Christ. Now, um, have you ever heard anybody say that uh, you're better off believing in Christianity even if it's not true because it's a better way to live? 
I have atheist friends who say, you know, Christianity is a delusion, religion is a delusion, but I'm thankful for it, and I'm glad people are Christians because the world's a better place because of it. And people believe it, and they believe in returning good for evil, and I'm glad there's people in the world that return good for evil. And I think about all the hospitals that were built by Christians and all the good things that Christian organizations do, and it's just the world's a better place because of Christians. And so even though it's a fantasy and it's not true, it's a good delusion. Have you ever heard anyone say that? There was another guy, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but his his last name was Pascal, and he was a French mathematician and philosopher, and he lived in the 1600s. And basically what he said is, believing in Christianity is the best thing that you should do. Like, if you just think about it logically, you should believe in Christianity, because if you believe in Christianity, you have the possibility of infinite gain. Like if Christianity's true, you go to heaven and you have a relationship with God. And so you can, there's infinite value in being a Christian. If um, Christianity's not true, then you have finite loss. So maybe you've missed out on some things in this life, but you haven't lost much. So you can gain a lot, but you haven't lost much. On the other hand, if you don't believe in Christ, you have infinite loss at stake and finite gain. And so he just says, hey, you know, you should be a Christian. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody that says, try Jesus. You'll find out that it's good. And uh, that's one of the things I think about is, um, you know, is that true, those ideas that Christianity, even if it's not true, is beneficial? (laughs) One of the things I think is crazy is we're going to read what Paul says. And Paul says, if Christianity's not true, then you're an idiot for believing it. So, so the Apostle Paul says that Pascal is wrong. The Apostle Paul says that my atheist friend who just thinks that Christianity makes the world a better place, um, the Apostle Paul says he's wrong. And so he says that Christianity is true, and it must be true, and we should believe it, but it can't be false. If it's false, then we're fools. And so Let's look into what Jesus says. And in honor of Justin, I do want to quote C.S. Lewis since he did that last week. But C.S. Lewis just said this. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And that's a different quote, but it's kind of similar to the one that that uh, Justin gave us last week. So let's jump into this passage, and we're going we're to learn something. First, that the, the, uh, and Justin covered this last week, that the resurrection is historically proven. It is a fact. Um, the resurrection did happen. It is not based on people's imagination. The idea that people believe in Christianity because it makes them feel better is not true. We believe in Christianity because it is true, it is factual. But not only is it true, but it is theologically necessary. Um, It has to be true, or everything we believe is false. And so uh, the resurrection is true, and because it's true, Christianity, following Christ, is worth giving your life for. 
And when you think about the call to become a Christian, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And if you think about uh, Christianity is better, even if it's not true, for people who don't know what it means, for people who don't understand what Christ has called you to. And Paul's going to end this passage talking about the massive personal sacrifices that he has made for the gospel. And those sacrifices, that all-out Christian living is what God calls every person to do. And so if you're a half-hearted Christian, then maybe it's better. But wholehearted Christians do things that they would only do if, because the eternity is at stake. And that's the life that Paul calls all, that God is calling all of us to live. And so let's read this passage, and we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verse 1. And then we'll skip through that a little bit and jump into verse 12. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you preached in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he goes into this description of all the people that Jesus appeared to. People who didn't believe in him, like his brother, that then believed in him after he saw him resurrected. 500 people at one time. He appeared to his disciples, the people that he had spent time with. There's no chance that, that, that people got confused about who he was. The absolute evidence of the resurrection. And then he says this in verse 12, um, and this is our passage for today. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? So, <laughs> some of the people who believed in vain, people in the church who say there's no resurrection, but if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it's not true that the dead are raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. And then the good news in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes, at the, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all these things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all." You can read that slowly and think about each section because I'm sure that as you heard that, you're like, what? (laughs) But it makes sense, and it's actually very powerful. We'll talk about that. Verse 29, very controversial verse in this section. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. And what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If their dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. All right, let's jump in there and see what we can make, what we can do to make sense out of some of this stuff. The first thing is this, is you have a church full of people. And by the way, this is a reminder that often you have churches and you have religious people that believe things that are not true. There are whole religions of religious people that believe things that are not true. And even in good faithful churches, people, there are people in every church that don't actually know the Lord and that believe things that are really wrong. And that's part of the purpose of the church is we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to all be reading the Bible and we're supposed to be helping one another come along. In fact, the Bible tells us that sometimes people in church that cause problems do that because they don't know God. Um, Satan puts people in churches deliberately as his plants, and they are held captive by him to do his will. And so that's actually, Paul tells elders in churches, when there are people in the church that are causing problems, you need to be gracious You need to be compassionate. You need to refute the things that they're doing. If perchance, God may grant them repentance leading to life. Now that's something that's really important to think about because people, religious people in churches who are held captive to do God's Satan's will, they don't know they're not saved. And and as the body of Christ, we are supposed to be recognizing that that can be true, praying for people, loving people, returning good for evil, confronting sin when we see it, reading the Bible. And, And that's like we're a family and we love each other and we're helping one another. And also, Jesus, when he was preaching in Matthew 7, tells a story about people who will stand before God and they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and in your name do miracles? 
And he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And that is actually something that should call every one of us to evaluate ourselves and to think through, do I know the Lord? And so one thing is that we're thinking about that for ourselves. Do I know the Lord? How do I know if I know the Lord? That's why we read 1 John, so that we can feel confident about whether or not we know the Lord. Uh, We realize that we are evangelizing people outside the church, but we are also evangelizing people inside the church. And so that's something that we recognize. That's why it's important for us to be a loving family. And so here Paul's talking to these people, and within their church are people who say there's no resurrection from the dead. (laughs) Can I tell you a secret? If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a Christian. And so when you're in the church and you believe certain things like that, you don't know the Lord. And so Paul is saying, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? And then he goes on and he just lays out this logic of just saying, if there's no resurrection from the dead, there's no salvation at all. It doesn't even exist. You know, it's interesting, um, in Jesus' day, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, they, they came to him trying to test Jesus, and they said, hey, if, if a guy marries somebody and his wife dies, and then he marries someone else and her wife dies, he marries somebody else and her, well, her wife, his wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, this whole thing, he's like, who, who's, who's this guy going to be married to? Who's this woman going to be married to in the resurrection? They didn't even believe in the resurrection. They're asking Jesus a resurrection question. And it goes on, and it just says that they didn't believe in the resurrection. And then Jesus just says to them, when he says, as for the resurrection, so he answers their question. And then he says, as for the resurrection, have you not read what was said to you by God? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And uh, he starts that off by saying, have you not read? He doesn't say to the Sadducees, oh, yeah, it's just, these are theological things that are really hard to figure out. Everybody has their own opinion. We're really not sure what's true. He just says, didn't you read the Bible? Like that's Jesus' response to everybody who believes things that are not true or who doesn't believe things that they should believe. He's like, did you read the Bible? That's what Jesus always says. And if we read the Bible we would know that there's a resurrection. Job 19.26, oldest book in the Old Testament, Job says, after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job talks about the resurrection. He even knows that there's a resurrection. Daniel chapter 2, 12, verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. This whole idea of the resurrection is in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus talked about this. He says, do not marvel at this in John 5. For an hour is coming when those who are in tombs will hear His voice and come out, and those who have done good to a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Resurrection is going to be for everybody. Some will go to heaven and some will receive a resurrection body so that they could exist in hell for all eternity. And so a resurrection's coming and eternal things are at stake. When you look at the preaching of the apostles, 
in Acts chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So that was the content of their preaching, that there is a resurrection. Paul, when he preached in Acts chapter 17, he says this, times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. You ever talk about the resurrection with people? And they just go, oh man, I don't believe that. And they mock you. You know, it's interesting how we feel like times have changed. One of the things that you, you recognize as you read the Bible is that times have not changed. The same kinds of sins going on today were going, back, going on back in the book of Genesis. The same kinds of attitudes that people had toward the resurrection and toward other things. Man, those things have not changed. That's one of the things as you read the Bible is you realize the same way people used to be, that's what I see everywhere today. And it says, now when they heard some mocked, Others said, oh, you know, we'll hear from you about this again. You ever uh, talk to somebody, share the gospel, talk about the resurrection, and some people mock you. Other people will say to you, well, that's an interesting thing. Maybe we could talk about that again at some point in the future. And it goes on, and it says, but some men joined him and believed. Um, and that's just amazing. Some men joined and they believed, and then it names some of those people. That is the amazing thing is that people preach, and when we preach and when we share the gospel, sometimes people believe. I think that's amazing. That's why I'm married to Michelle, because somebody preached and she believed. And you want to know something? That is what we are supposed to be doing. We believe it, we know it's true, and we proclaim it. You know, um, one of the things that it says here in this passage, it says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. You know, if, if these things are not true, then everything that we do and say and all the things that we're committed to are empty. They're in vain. Your faith, if Jesus is not raised, then the faith that we have, the belief and the trust that we have in God is empty. Have you ever heard people say that, that God is going to save people if they're sincere? As long as you have sincere faith. Like there's people that believe you can find truth, you can find salvation in any religion as long as you're sincere. And one of the things that the Bible teaches here is that sincerity equals nothing if it's based on something that's not true. You know, we have a culture that, that just believes in, in uh, you know, uh, truth, that we can all have our own truth. Well, that's true for you, but I have my truth. And what the Bible teaches is, no, there is objective truth. And being sincerely wrong is of no value. We must be sincere, but we must be sincerely right. We don't get our own truth. God's truth is objective. It is outside of us. We don't come up with our own truth. We need to discover God's truth and put our faith in His truth. And any other kind of faith is empty. 
And then he says that we would be false teachers, misrepresenting God and lying to people. You know, um, God doesn't lie. You think about all the passages in Scripture that talk about the fact that God does not lie. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Jesus is the truth. Um, God is true, John 5.20. Acts 1, God who never, Titus, Titus 1, God who never lies. Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to, to lie. You know who does lie? John 8.44, Jesus says, you're of the Father, your father the devil, and your will is to do his desires. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So Satan lies, and that's actually one of the things we understand about false religions. Every one of them is a lie with the intention of separating people from God. Satan wants to destroy your eternity. He wants you eternally destroyed. So that's his goal. And if he can come up with a false religion, and as people are looking for religion, and in their heart they, they know that there's a God because God's put that knowledge in them, and then as they sincerely pursue these other religions, they are lost eternally. And that's Satan's goal. How many religions can I get to mislead people so that when they die, they will spend forever separated from God? Satan is a liar. All religions are lies. The only religion that is the truth is following Jesus. Christianity, there is one way to heaven, and that is through Christ. And so, those are all lies, and Paul just talks about that. If we were lying, then everything would be empty. But then he goes on, and he says this, which is awesome. But there is a resurrection. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And do you want to know what that means? That means that our preaching is not in vain. It is not empty. When you go talk to people about Christ, when you share the gospel, that is not a waste. That is fruitful. It means that your faith is not in vain. When you believe God, when you read the Bible and you trust what He says, when you think about the, what the Bible says about salvation and heaven and hell, and when you trust God, that is not empty. That is powerful. That is life-changing. Um, we don't trust what's unreliable. We trust what is reliable. That's one of the things that I think about Like as you read the Bible is you think about the fact that people who trusted Christ, people who trusted God, did not do that in vain. Uh, their, their trust was well placed. And that's actually one of the things I love about the Bible as you read through the Old Testament, is you see people who lived lives of faith, and you see people who lived lives without faith. And one of the things that you see that's very clear is that living a life of faith is not empty. Like you think about the hope that that provides, the good news that that provides. You know, when you have faith and trust in God, 
You understand that your sin will be forgiven. You understand that God loves you, that he will transform your life, that God holds your life in his hands. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. By the way, um, we'll probably, when we're done with 1 Corinthians, we might go through the book of Genesis next. And I was just thinking about um, Joseph. And I was thinking about how, you know, that guy in his life, he trusted God. But, you know, throughout his entire life, it's not his entire life, but throughout most of his life, everything seemed terrible. You ever thought about that? Like if you were Joseph and you grew up in a family and all your brothers hated you, like that's kind of a bummer when your brothers hate you. And then he goes out to hang out with them and they hate him so much that they throw him in this pit and they actually plan to kill him. And for Joseph, he's like, man, my life's terrible. I'm getting ahead of the things I'll teach when we go through Genesis. But um, then he gets thrown into this pit, and then he gets sold to Egypt. And he gets into Potiphar's house, and he's just heartbroken because he's away from his family. He's been sold into slavery. And then when he's there, God blesses him, and Potiphar just puts him in charge of his whole house. And so it's like it's terrible. I mean, he's been sold into a slave, into another land. He's longing for home but this guy trusts him, and then his wife hits on him, and falsely accuses him, and he gets thrown in prison, like it just crushed and destroyed. And then he's in prison, and he's like, gets put in charge of the whole prison, but who wants to be in prison, even if you're in charge? And it just seems terrible, and every day he's just groaning. He's like, I've done nothing to deserve being here. And yet he's there, and he's still faithful, and then um, Pharaoh's servants come in there and he interprets their dreams and he expresses this terrible frustration where he says, hey, when you get out of here, don't forget about me because I've done nothing to deserve being here. His life just seems terrible. And then what do they do? They forget about him. And what ends up later is, is when you look back, you see that God was doing an amazing thing in history in salvation history, but he was also doing an amazing thing for Joseph. What Joseph didn't realize is his circumstances seemed terrible, but every single circumstance was God getting ready to bless him, to do amazing things in his life, to do tremendous things in his life. And actually at the end, when he finally gets exalted, into his, where he's the second in charge of, 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 uh, of Egypt, he says, um, I've forgotten all my sadness, I've forgotten about my family, and he's just so happy about what God's done, but he's given up on his home, he's given up on his family. But what he doesn't realize is God is about to introduce him to his brothers and to give him back his family. This whole thing that seemed so pessimistic to Joseph was actually God blessing him and using him in a powerful way. Amen. And that is the truth. Like For us as believers, when we have faith in God, there is salvation. But it's not just salvation. Every part of life, as we trust God, is an incredible blessing. God is always doing good when we're suffering trials, when we're going through difficulty. God is always doing good things. Faith in God is well-placed faith, and we don't often see it, 
Uh, often we don't see it, but it is always true. And so, because there is a resurrection, because God has saved us, because God does hold life in His hands, faith is not empty. And so, um, we're going to stop there this morning, and that there is a resurrection, and that there is good news, and that faith is well-placed because it's placed in something true. And I want to think about, um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And as we think about the resurrection of Christ, that happened because Jesus left, left heaven. He came to this earth and He lived a perfect life so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we could be restored. You know, that was God's whole plan with, um, with the book of Genesis, promising the Messiah. The nation of Israel was a, a way to deliver this Messiah that would save the whole world. And this is what it says in 1 John 1, 14. It says, And the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For, for from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We receive God's goodness. We receive God's grace. We receive forgiveness. And our standing before Christ is not based on our works. You know, one of the things that uh, Mark, when he was sharing the gospel with his mom at an old age, he just asked her, you know, so, so you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven. And she's like, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven. He's like, why? Why would you go to heaven? And she's like, well, I'm a good person. You want to know something? None of us are good. None of us are good enough. Nobody goes to heaven because they're good enough. We go to heaven because Jesus took on flesh. He lived a perfect life, and He died on the cross. And Jesus, God punished Jesus for our sins. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we ask Jesus for forgiveness, the Bible promises that we will be forgiven. And that's the, our standing before God is based on the work of Christ. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we'll do, and I would just invite you, if you're a Christian, come up, just walk up to these tables, take bread and a cup, you can go back to your chair, and then you can just pray and you can eat those elements. And the bread reminds us of the body of Jesus, the fact that He was crucified on a cross for us. And the cup reminds us of His blood that was spilled, His death, which is actually what achieved our salvation when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we think about and we dwell on the fact that our standing before God is based on the work of Christ. And that provides hope, just like it did for Joseph, in this life. But it provides hope not just for this life. It provides hope for all eternity. Let me read what Paul says about this. In 1 Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. Lord, I I just thank you that you don't ask us to just believe things because they make us feel better. Lord, we're supposed to believe things that are true. And God, you are true. You speak truth. Your word is true. And our faith is based on things that are true. And God, our, our, our faith is put in you. And God, I thank you that, that our eternity is not based on us or our works. It is based on you. Lord, as we see failure, as we see difficulty, as we see pain in our own lives, Lord, we entrust that to you. And God, we trust you for saving us. And I pray that you would help each of us to be passionate about the gospel in our own life and also as we share it with others in your name. Amen.